Hello, everybody, and welcome to the American Shoreline Podcast. This is Peter Ravella, co-host of the show. And this is Tyler Buckingham, the other co-host. Charleston, South Carolina. We are glad to be in Charleston for the 2020 Social Coast Forum, one of the most innovative conferences, Tyler, that I think we've had a chance to attend. Truly. And, uh, you know, Peter, I've been so excited to come to the Social Coast Forum. This, ladies and gentlemen, is probably the premier conference in possibly the world where uh, the focus is on social science and social issues on the shoreline. And uh, this is something that's near and dear to our hearts here on ASPN. Uh, And we are joined today, Peter. We have a special guest with us to kick off the show here from Charleston. We're really pleased to uh, welcome to the show Bill O'Byrne, who is one of the veterans of the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration and the Office of Coastal Management. Bill, welcome to the American Shoreline Podcast. Pete, great to be here, and and thanks for having me on. Well, as an old pro, I can say old pro, (laughs) veteran, a person of wisdom in this thing, tell us about... Tell us why social science and and coastal management and uh, shoreline management is an important topic. Why do you think, why is OCM and why is this an important event? Bill, I think that's a great question and I want to hear your answer. Okay. But before we get to it, let's have a quick word from our sponsors. The American Shoreline Podcast Network and CoastalNewsToday.com are brought to you by LJA Engineering with 28 offices along the Gulf Coast. The folks at LJA Engineering are at the top of the craft in the areas of coastal restoration, coastal infrastructure, rivers and channels, numeric modeling, disaster recovery, and design and construction oversight. And now they have a brand new coastal resiliency department headed up by our very own Peter Ravella. Check them out at lja.com. We are also brought to you by Coastal Transplants. Coastal Transplants prides itself on offering specific environmental and horticultural expertise with practical firsthand knowledge of all aspects of coastal revegetation projects. Their high-quality native and wetland plants, extensive agricultural and horticultural experience, along with their skilled and respectful crews, make Coastal Transplants your one-stop solution for restoring coastal ecology of your barrier island community. Learn more at CoastalTransplants.com. And we are brought to you by the Dune Science Group. Did you know that fiberglass is one of the strongest and most durable building materials in the world? That it is resistant to deterioration caused by UV light and salt water? Well, the Dune Science Group does. They offer a full slate of solutions for dune walkovers and boardwalks that are made of fiberglass and built to last. They can handle your dune walkover project from beginning to end, including permitting, design, and construction of the strongest and most durable dune walkover on the market. Learn more at the thedunesciencegroup.com. Okay, go for it. So uh, I think uh, one of the reasons that I see is the, the Coastal Zone Management Act that, that I spent a lot of time in, in my career in NOAA uh, working with was always viewed as a comprehensive management um, approach to coastal issues. And that comprehensiveness uh, in my time was really focused on kind of 
comprehensively across all levels of government, from the federal to the local, comprehensive in the sense that it dealt with it, or tried to deal with all the important issues and, and um, major management needs that were uh, present on whichever coast you were on. And it also uh, invited the kind of cross-discipline approach. And I think in the past, that cross-discipline approach, um, which had been very helpful, had been mostly across the natural sciences. And, uh, you know, I think this is a really, uh, you know, kind of uh, normal metamorphosis of, of that idea of into, hey, you know, now that we've kind of looked at the natural science side of this, we really need to take a look at the social science and, and what what uh, this is doing to people, that, that people are part of the ecosystem. They are, you know, every bit as much as a, a critter that needs to be taken into account. And sometimes in the past, some of our programs hadn't really done that in a way that was uh, maybe as fair to everybody involved. And one thing's for certain, Bill, and that is that with climate change happening, and the uh, anxiety level cranked up higher and higher, it seems like, with each passing year. And I mean, listen, Peter, you and I look at the coastal news from around the world every day. And I have seen the proliferation of climate change stories at the local level over the since we started doing coastal news today. You know, what is it? 18 months ago. We went from seeing maybe 10 stories a day, if we were lucky, to now there's, there might be 50. This is, this is climate change happening right now. And the question that's happening, I think, in the, from a management perspective of coastlines and you know, this broader resiliency discussion must include a social component. At today's opening statement, it, we were reminded of some of the demographic statistics of the shoreline. And, I, you know, I've, I've heard these statistics, you know, they float around in, in these circles frequently. But, I mean, when you realize that ten, it was a 10% of the land area uh, on, of, of America, which is the, sh the American shoreline, uh, is home to 40% of the American population. So, yeah, people are a major part of any sort of, of management. Uh, and this conference is absolutely, I think, right on the cutting edge of how we are coming to understand that how to think about uh, social issues on the shoreline. And, you know, Bill, boy, I think you said that wonderfully. This is a natural metamorphosis of becoming increasingly cross-disciplinary. Well, I do think uh, in the keynote, and, and this is kickoff of day one from Charleston at the Social Coast Forum uh, 2020, and we have heard the keynote speaker's presentation this morning, who is Sorelli Patel, who will be on the podcast here later this afternoon, and we'll be bringing you an interview with the keynote speaker. She is the director of the Center for Public Health Policy and dealing with the socioeconomic aspects of coastal management. And I think kind of to set the stage here, uh, what we're going to do this week is what Bill, what you said is quite right. Uh, the Coastal Zone Management originally Act it originally intended to focus on the broad brush uses of the coast, the human, both, both of utility and protection, the economy, all of that. It's cross-disciplinary. And uh, Nicole LaBeouf, who is the uh, acting assistant administrator of the National Ocean Service, one of the five services of the NOAA, uh, 
hopefully we'll have her on. But she said something really important that set the stage for me. She said, coastal management is human management. Bingo. The reason we're here is because all of the policies to respond to the challenges along the shoreline are going to be created and implemented through human institutions. And this conference is dedicated to that skill set. Right. And I I would just add to that that uh, one of the things that uh, the social sciences is bringing to the to the table is is really how to communicate risk in a much more effective manner than than possibly we've been able to do. Um, But it's also highlighted. um, and, And I think it was totally evident from a lot of the recent hurricanes and floods that we've had is that. A lot of the the folks uh, that live in those lowest lying areas um, are probably not the best equipped to deal with some of these issues, and and that needs to be looked at because in a fair response to uh, in enhancing resilience, we need to make sure that that some of those populations are are treated as equitably uh, with others. So, um, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, that whole idea of how do you change behaviors, whether it's through a regulatory process or from just public education or whatever, uh, that, you know, there is some good social science, maybe even psychology that's needed to really um, kind of figure out what's going to motivate people to make some changes that they, they really need to make. Indeed. And, um, you know, I think it's it's fair to say that we're amped up, so stoked to be here. It is day one of the official conference. Um, but we did come in uh, on Sunday afternoon, just before the Super Bowl. And we didn't come in so that we could watch the Super Bowl, ladies and gentlemen. We came in because on Monday, uh, the day before kickoff, uh, there was a day of trainings, and we were very interested in participating and uh, being able to see uh, what was going on there. Yeah, a couple of things yesterday to catch uh, our listeners up on the opening training day at the Social Coast Forum. Two things I think jumped out. Number one, uh, we attended a f- an afternoon training session with the American Planning Association. This was Jason Jordan and Liz Lang, a couple of planners from the American Planning Association talking about the utility of storytelling in translating complex information to communities affected by climate. And I thought it was a great program. I really was not quite convinced when the president when the training started that storytelling could play a key role in reaching communities, but by the end I was convinced that they were really on to something in terms of how to connect and relate to the public. And let me just sort of say that what, the, what I think the underlying assumption is of this event, which is a little bit different, say, if you, than ASBPA or the Florida Shore and Beach Meeting or technical conferences. The operating assumption of the community of people who are gathered here at the Social Coast Forum is, number one, things will change on the coast. There's not a debate here about what climate change is and sea level rise. They see it coming. They're the people who are responsible for coming up with strategies to respond, whether they're in the NGO sector, local government sector, or in the federal government. Things are going to change, number one. Number two, the question is, will we change and adjust and be prepared for what's about to happen? That's underlying assumption number two at this conference. And the third part, which is really 
what this training was geared to is how do we prepare communities to go through the adjustment that we believe is going to occur. That's when I say we, I mean the attendees at this event. That's what this conversation is really about is that in order to be effective in responding to this pretty big problem there's uh, that they believe is coming down the pike toward all of us uh, is you have to engage communities. You have to be an effective communicator. You have to help people transition and you have to do it fairly. And I just think this is, this is why I think Tyler and I are both very interested in the event because this is a topic not typically done. Uh, and we're usually talking to people who are designing engineering solutions or trying to understand the problem in a technical sense. And here we are to talk about it in the human sense. And uh, so yesterday was cool. Definitely. And, you know, Bill, I'd love to get your thoughts on this because, you know, you've you've had a full career working with obviously as a as a deputy of the federal government, bringing states and I guess U.S. uh, territories uh, into um, some degree of a a planning mindset and, you know, establishing coastal programs state by state, region by region. And uh, in those, you know, in those days, the um, the threat of the big change, the big climate change notion, I know it was out there. It's not like it's a new concept, but it wasn't it wasn't as uh, prescient on the discussion. What what are your takeaways being here this year? Well, I, you know, to, to kind of respond to the last part of that statement, um, you know, I think, as Peter said, I, I think people have seen the change already. And, and that's made a huge difference that we've got communities from Miami to, um, <clears throat> excuse me, Annapolis uh, to uh, the ports in Virginia that have already see, seen the, the effects of sea level rise. And they're feeling it on a, you know, uh, a weekly or monthly basis now. Um, and uh, I think that, uh, you know, there's such a... There's so much information and misinformation out there. I think that there there is really the need to search for ways to to communicate uh, some of that information to people um, in a very clear and understandable and not what often happens from my side of the field, the budgetary, I mean, the bureaucratic kind of response uh, and and being able to talk to people in a language that they can understand. And that's taken, you know, a little bit of time. Uh, You know, there's, uh, you know, there's the policy wonks and we have our, had our language and and it didn't necessarily resonate with people. And, and I think we're trying to go through that process of, of getting better at, at, at telling the story. Um, Yeah. You know, I got an observation to make guys. Go ahead. You know, Given the fact that we're talking about, like, in the this morning's introduction, the word uh, existential came up. It did, indeed. The, Followed the, by, the, by the concept of threat, I of think, threat. was the yes. suggestion. And, and we've, we've got these kind of gnarly words being thrown around. And, you know, listen, if, I, if you are a climate change denier, I can't imagine you're listening to this podcast. But if you are, good for you. But I'll tell you what, you come here, it's not a bummed out crowd. You know, th- even though this is a big problem, uh, I'm using air quotes, uh, it seems as though the energy in the room, if I were to just read the energy, is that yeah. it is being perceived as an opportunity 100%. to change the way and actually improve the way we are interfacing with the environment, of course, but also the way that our society uh, treats each other mm-hmm. and the environment. The keynote 
is about public health. Yeah. Uh, that's well, well, boy, yeah. that's interesting. And I'll tell you, no one here is bummed out. No one here is uh, feeling um, like it's an impossible task. I mean, it, there's yeah. certainly a recognition of the challenge. And, you know, before we we get too far ahead into what we have to look forward to over the next couple of days um, on this very notion, we had the opportunity to sit in on the uh, power play uh, theater. Yeah. Uh, last night. And Under boy, was that that was a treat to to finally be able to see the production in person. Uh, Peter, what were your thoughts on that? Well, as as our listeners will remember, I hope last year we had on the on the American Shoreline podcast the folks from the University of New Hampshire who have created an interactive theater program to help communities confront the difficult choices ahead. And in this case, they're talking about managed retreat. How would a community have a discussion about a topic that really suggests that people's homes are going to be vacated and moved. That's a touchy subject. And through this theater dynamic process called Undercurrents, this was the name of the presentation they did last night, a couple of hours of applied theater called Undercurrents, Navigating the Human Dynamics of Climigration. Uh, this is an applied theater programming. So go back and look at, we had David Kay on and we had C.J. Lewis and C.J. was uh, it was the master of ceremonies last night. That's the right. Applied theater process. They have actors portray various positions in the community discussion. They had a civic community, civic leader. They had a scientist who was a researcher who was in town, and they had a homeowner. And each of these characters acted out their viewpoint, and then the conversations were evaluated and discussed and redone. Interesting. Like, what would have happened if a if a particular viewpoint now they're going to meet in the grocery store gonna, what happens if that happens right and and, and again the, the focus here is on the human dimension of difficult transitions in the coastal zone and how the tensions are going to evolve and it's it, it, i think it's a really interesting vehicle i thought it was a great show and i'm hoping we can maybe get cj lewis and uh, the folks from interactive uh, theater to come back on the podcast and talk about their work around the country because they've been presenting and doing this interactive theater. That was pretty good. What'd you think, Bill? Yeah, I, th- I thought it was really good. And and my takeaway was uh, it, it was it was so not necessarily about the topic at hand in being uh, shoreline retreat. But it could be applied to any topic. And that they, what they really were focused on was how do you do public engagement correctly and showing uh, different ways where uh, basically when you do not approach uh, conversations with without a little bit of respect and understanding of the other side, you cause a lot of problems. And a lot of problems can be caused uh, or, or resolved through a little bit more of a human person to person approach and 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 I've seen that so much that you know it, it's very difficult uh, sometimes for government agencies or whatever when they're going out to do that that they can kind of come across as you know heartless soulless uh, people and that there's they need to find those opportunities that they can sit down and have conversations with folks you know it's an issue I, I completely agree and the the ter- the name that they call their their uh, theater is power. They call this power play, and uh, 
the, that first word power, I think, is very interesting because what they were, what it seemed like to me that they were doing is they were, we, we were, what we were able to do is kind of move the knobs and show how these three, um, at least initially, kind of offset power dynamics, mm-hmm. perspectives, yeah. indeed, um, were, while offset initially, could actually be, if you were allowed the power to be tweaked, or the word that they used was show some grace, you know, uh, that it, it actually would be possible. Now, it, it, the I'll tell you, it's so, when you're sitting in the room and you're watching this, it's almost agonizing, because you really, it's like listening to a dissonant chord. You want it to be resolved, and um, that's not what we're there to do. We're not there to solve this fictional problem in the fictional town. We're there to suffer through the dissonance of it, of the, of the failure that is happening. Right. But, but being present for that and feeling it in a theater portrayed in reality, I think was extremely, um, left an impression on me. I think that it, I, I really believe that this is a useful tool. And at some point I have to believe that these power players, this undercurrents uh, tool, will be deployed <clears throat> in coastal towns, or this frankly will not with with the impacts of of climate uh, will probably be go, go far beyond the coast. But I really think that there's an application here in if, in small communities and. Um, what can I say? I'm. I'm. Yeah. It was really cool to experience it. I agree, and I think it's it's the exploration of the rifts in the conversation and how the breakdown occurs and why things aren't moving forward and how to adjust language uh, and approach to bring consensus. And I, I got to pause here and give a shout out to my brother John out in the Bay Area in San Francisco who called me about this conference he listened to the introductory show title and he said i just don't understand what the heck this is about it's not even clear to me and we're talking about something that's a little bit esoteric here we're talking about the human dimensions and conversations as i said of the adaptation that the folks who are attending this conference expect to occur not that they're as if it is a power beyond their control. They believe communities are going to be put in tough positions and they're trying to prepare uh, themselves to engage these communities and come up with solutions that are fair and creative and effective. That's what I think is going on, John. So when you're asking me, (laughs) what is this conference about? I think that's the best I can do. But it really comes down to, and, and why the power play theater example was good was it was set in a town of rocky creek they the town was facing sea level rise it was a you know a a make-believe place but it's not make-believe you can go to miami you can go to charleston where we are uh you can look at what's happening in banking and finance and insurance to see if the players who've got money on the table believe this adjustment is coming their way and there's no doubt about it If you read Coastal News today, you see the articles, we pay attention to property and insurance and and banking and finance and how it's connected to climate. Um, This is coming, and I think the skill set is what it's all about. How do we, uh, there's a, boy, I think there's a realization that the conversations are not going to be easy uh, because it is, change is hard, perception is hard people's wedded identity to their location is hard and how do we how do you have a conversation 
I love is that is that kind no, of a totally, fair summary? It's totally fair, Bill. I'd love to get your thoughts on this, but I, for me, <laughs> this is a this is like inspiring and again, I just the vibe in the uh, here at the hotel uh, where the conference is is so positive and so uh, inspired to get this to to work on this that I think that. Um, you know, I'm excited for the possibilities that that we as a collective society and what local communities will come up with, I think will be, I think our society will improve. I actually am, I'm excited for Optimist. tomorrow. Yeah, I, am, I truly am. I think optimism now, it's is not, important. It's not to say that these conversations won't be hard. Right. Because there will necessarily be change. But I mean, that's kind of what we're learning here is that climate change is social change. And social change good is climate line. change. They're they're one good and the same. Line. <laughs> Thank you, so Peter. I, that's a good line. So, Go for it. So Bill. I would just add that you know I, I think uh, the programs that I've been working with, uh, the CZMA programs, the National Estuarine Research Reserve programs, they've been doing a lot of this on the ground. I mean, they've dealt with local governments um, in a number of ways, and they have uh, from time to time um, done a lot of what some is going to be talked about at this conference. I think now what I'm seeing is that there's much more of a systematic and kind of uh, corporate approach of, of really, you know, pushing this down saying, hey, you know, we've, we've done an okay job in some areas, but we really need to do a better job on mm-hmm. the on the social science side and, and making sure that that equity is present. Right. And 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 I would just hope that uh, that there are a lot of lessons learned from the folks in these programs. They've done, I mean, some great work and there's a lot of great work to be done and uh you know i'm hoping that the the powers that be that can provide funding for these types of things are gonna you know look to some of these as as leaders and um folks that uh have some good insight on how to proceed on these uh measures yeah there's a lot of wisdom so kind of set the context a little bit here the coastal zone management act passed in 1972 So in 2022 is going to be the 50th anniversary of the Coastal Zone Management Act in America. And I think think we just need to pause very quickly. 50 years. We're in this year. 2020 is Noah's 50 year uh, birthday. Is it 50? Is this is this year? Right? No. It, the, it, the, the, on, the, on the meatball, it says celebrating yep. 50 years. Yes, uh, I have to yes, believe it it's 2020, 1970 to, 20, yep. to yeah. 2020, 50 years of NOAA. Uh, coming up uh, two years into NOAA, we got the uh, Coastal Zone Management Act. Is that Coastal correct? Coastal Zone Management Act. And yes. uh, so needless to say, we're moving. I mean, this is a significant period of time in the history of our society's management of shorelines. Right. And I think what I, I, you know, Bill, you were at at NOAA and at OCM. Is it thirty? Can we say what? thirty years? You could say that. Okay, so that's <laughs> yes. half of the time <laughs> yes. of the program's existence. Yes. And worked with Bill was the, uh, as I like to say, the overlord of federal approval of the Texas Coastal Management Program. When I was a, one of the directors of the program developing the Texas program, and and Bill was our federal collaborator, who pushed us to. Uh, make the program as good as it could be. and uh, But I think it, when we reach this 50-year mark, it seems to me, this is kind of how I'm looking at this, all of the work that has been done to establish the ocean, uh, the coastal management programs around the country, the agency's expertise in science, in surveying, and all of I mean, it's an amazing agency that we want people to better understand is NOAA. 
um, is kind of preparation for this moment at our 50 year mark suddenly has emerged what I think is the single biggest challenge in coastal America ever. And that is the implications of climate change. You know, forget, let's just set aside the causes and deal with the fact that sea levels are changing, ocean temperatures are changing, conditions are changing. Uh, And the agency, I think, experience has sort of set the table. Are we able to go into this very difficult challenge effectively? And so much that's what I think this conference is about. It's perfectly timed to get ready for what's going to come. Is that kind of what do you think? Bill? I would I would agree with that. I think that there's um, uh, a whole host of um, uh, of partners that are going to need to be kind of engaged in in that uh, addressing that issue, which is is. As people have said, a little bit of uh, you know an existential threat, and and uh, that people, as more and more people kind of see it on a day to day basis, it will probably develop more and more um, uh, <clears throat> uh, motive, um, uh, uh, excuse, uh, you know, power and and I think methods. that methods and um, just momentum, excuse mm-hmm. me. Momentum. It's okay. my, it's my 30 years of service. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think that, that, you know, it's going to take every agency uh, involved. It's going to take NGOs. It's going to take academics, academics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and it's going to take those agencies that are, that are interested in reaching out and making those partnerships and looking at that broader picture of, Hey, this is a public health issue as well as it's right. a coastal management issue. It's, you know, it's going to take, uh, a lot of effort to do that. But, but I agree with you that I saw a lot of positive kind of, uh, thinking that hey this is uh, you know we've dealt with complex problems before you just need to deal with them you just you can't put your head in the sand and say right. you know we're not going to address this yeah and i think i want to make sure that people understand that the that the community of people that is here is not this is not a bunch of this is the term that would be said a bunch of federal bureaucrats sitting around talking about how they're going to take control of the world not the discussion uh the nonprofit organizations the faith-based community, the citizens of the community, the most vulnerable uh, are, are front and center. And I want to say that in the, in the opening remarks by, by the assistant administrator of the National Ocean Service, Nicole LaBoff, said there is a real question here about the role of the federal government in the approach to this very big problem we are about to face. And so I think what it means to me is it, what I'm hearing in the tone, and this kind of picks up on what Tyler is sensing in the rooms, is it is a positive, collaborative, open, they know that it's going to take all hands on deck. This is not about creating big regulatory programs. It is about engaging the public effectively, motivating and inspiring them to, to look at difficult problems and make good choices. I think is that kind of I, I feel that's the vibe it is a truly collaborative relation-based approach no question and uh you know ladies and gentlemen we really it, here we are it's uh the morning of day one of the conference uh, still so much to experience we have several more interviews uh to bring you over the coming days but peter i think you're exactly right the the notion here is that we need to be 
more collaborative, more open. I'm really reminded of kind of the old melting pot analogy. I mean, Mm -hmm. for so long, uh, we have siloed ourselves off in areas where we were able to become very proficient experts, in fact, on our little area. Yeah. And um, what's clear is the the notion of this problem requires us to think about uh, our society and our shoreline and our management of the space very differently. Mm -hmm. And I thought Nicole's remarks this morning really brought that to light when she talked about ports and she talked about recreation and she talked about the complexity of the coastal space. Right. Not erosion or sea level rise. Those are those are factors that we will contend with, sure. Yeah. But it's the it's the social complexity of the space, all the uses that we have, all for all the reasons we love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, for all the reasons that we really care, that we're passionate, these are emotional connections to the space right. that we have to master as well. Right on. Well, going to be a great week here in Charleston and uh, a lot of content coming your way. So stick with us this week. Uh, Sorelli Patel, the keynote speaker, the director of the Center for Public Health Policy is going to be on. Kristen Goodrich, who is the director of the Tijuana River National Estuarine Research Reserve in California. I think we're going to have on the director of the well near in Maine, uh, Chris Fruitt. Um, I'm hoping Jason uh, Jordan and Liz Lang, who from the APA, who are talking about storytelling, the importance of engagement in communities. Maybe Nicole, Jeff Payne, the director of the Office of Coastal Management. Um, I've I'm hoping Jeff stops in and talks with us, and Rick DeVoe. These are some of the folks I hope you'll uh, be And hopefully many more. And many more. And so it's going to be a good week, and it's an interesting topic, and it's a this is a sit-back-and-think week. This is about what you said, Tyler. It is about the complex uses of the coast, what we expect it to be, what we love about it, what the challenges are going to be, and how do we move forward Really, can we say, as a society, that's the topic. And I think it's going to be a really cool week. Yeah, and, and I would just add uh, that there was something that Cirilli said that I think that really captures the spirit of this, which was um, often in the past when we'd address some of these issues, uh, there were some unintended con- consequences that came out of this because we hadn't thought of some of those social elements. And I think that really is kind of what this social science side of the, the, the room is going to be able to bring this, that we're going to be able to, to walk through these issues and not have, oh, we didn't think about that at the end of the day. No longer excusable. No longer excusable. Well, we got lots more great content coming your way. So stay tuned to the American Shoreline Podcast Network. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And we look forward to bringing you more great content from the Social Coast Forum 2020.